Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, welcome to Horse Hour. I'm Amy Frost and my guest today is Jessica Freeman. Jessica's a Grand Prix dressage rider and trainer based in southern New Hampshire in America. She's going to share her story of how she became a Grand Prix rider, but also how difficult it was to pluck up the courage to give up her full-time job and do this every day as a profession. Jessica's doing incredibly well, and to add to it, she met Carl Hester a few weeks ago. So she's going to share some advice that she learned from him on how to train her young horses at home. This is Horse Hour. Welcome to the Horse Hour podcast. We've got a lovely lady on today. Her name is Jessica Freeman. She's a USDF bronze, silver and gold medalist located in southern New Hampshire. Um, USDF, she tells me, stands for the United States Dressage Federation. So she's also a Grand Prix, not only rider, but also coach. And she recently met Carl Hester. How are you, Jessica? I'm great. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. I saw your awesome posts on Twitter the other day about your view with Carl. How was that? It was amazing. Um, I was completely tongue-tied. And... <laughs> no, you can't be tongue-tied. You've won all those I awards. Was. No, it was like, um, I don't know. I think in dressage, there's so few people that are such great representations of classical riding, classical dressage, and he really is kind of a hero that I look up to so it was great so how did that come about then was he doing a clinic over in America yeah so he came to New England for the first time Um, he's never been over here before and the New England Dressage Association arranged for him to do a symposium that's our local group member organization for our region so he they have a symposium every fall and winter but this was the first time Carl Hester has come and it was a very big deal. The tickets sold out almost immediately. Oh, <laughs> and then eventually they found some more tickets, but it was like everyone got their tickets at midnight the day that they opened. So it was a lot of excitement for dressage. And he he came up for two days. And the Friday before the clinic, he did a meet and greet for the sponsors. Mm-hmm. And I used to be an equine vet tech. And so the vet that I worked for was one of the sponsors. So one of my old co-workers had me come up with her and I helped her set up her booth and everything. And I said, I'll go with you. We're good friends. So of course I'll, you know, come hang out with you for a few hours. Mm. A bit of a long drive. Um, but I said, my goal is to get to meet Carl Hester and have a picture with him. So I got to do that. I actually got to take a picture with myself and then with um, two of the girls that went to the same university that I did 
one that I knew from college and then one that must have started like the year after I left. So it was very cool. So it's so cool. So imagine how you felt. Let's take that in of how you felt when you <laughs> met Carl. That's how so many, that's how I feel all the time. It's how yeah. so many people feel when they meet you because you're their inspiration. <laughs> Hopefully someday. <laughs> We're working on it. My horse is just starting out at the Grand Prix. Mm-hmm. And so we've had a very like up and down year in terms of consistency and scores, but we're getting it together. We have all our homework um, that we're working on. We know what needs to be done. So hopefully next year we'll consistently score, you know, quite a bit higher is the goal. <laughs> and how long have you had him? Um, I've had him for four years. Mm-hmm. Um, I got him through the vet that I used to work for. Uh, he was like sort of a second, third level horse. When I got him, um, he had one clean change. The other change was not so clean. Um, <laughs> and then I showed him third level and then fourth PSG, I won. And now this is our fourth year of showing and we've done Grand Prix. Wow, that's amazing. So, so in yeah, four years, you've done so mm-hmm. much. Yeah, he's been a really cool horse. Um, done a lot of body work with him, muscle building. He did a lot of initially just stretching work with him and long and low and just getting his top line really strong. Um, he's a big mover, but he is a bit on the, he's very lazy. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's not anymore. Like he's in front of my aides and everything now pretty consistently, but his, if he was a, you know, a person, he would be the guy, you know, drinking the beer on the couch, watching football <laughs> on Sundays. Like he's, he's very sweet. It's nice. Cause you can go on trail rides. Like we do, you know, some different stuff that you can't always do with a really hot horse. Mm. Um, or, I mean, you can, but it's a lot harder. And he he's a bit fun for me because I can go and pretend he's just, you know, a nice trail horse and we have a nice relaxing ride. That's so nice, though, because you get to enjoy him as well. Mm-hmm. Yep, there's drawbacks and, and benefits to every personality type of horse. Mm. So the benefit to him is he's really, really fun to show. He likes to show. Oh, nice. So how, yeah. so you've had him four years. Um, mm-hmm. And how long have you been riding for? I've been riding since I was about eight or nine. Um, and for a long time, it was just once a week lessons. Uh, my parents aren't horsey, did not come from a background where they could afford to buy me a horse at all. Um, mm. And so it was like lessons at the local barn. So I was about probably 11 or 12. I started working uh, at the barn for more lessons. And since then, I've just kept working and cleaning stalls and, you know, riding whatever I could get my hands on, um, whatever no one else wanted to ride and getting that experience. So um, I was a working student for a long time for a local trainer. Um, I've been kind of part-time doing the training thing for a long time, um, going around and now uh, I'm doing it full-time. So it's been a fun transition. That's a big leap to take though, mm-hmm. isn't it? From going part-time and working to then going, actually, mm-hmm. no, I'm going to do this. Yeah. Well, it's for me, it was, you know, we want, I wanted to show my horse Grand Prix. And if you are trying to work, you know, a full-time job and then ride and train, uh, your horse is always on the back burner. Mm. Um, everyone else's horse comes first and then your horse gets whatever half hour at the end of the day you have for him. So for me, I, it was like, if I really want to do this, then I have to do it if I'm going to show Grand Prix. Like, otherwise, we're not going to get there. Oh, <laughs> like, I know how you feel. I spend more than <laughs> half an hour with him. So <laughs> um, it's been fantastic. And um, it's we've had a good show season. I have another horse that I showed this year who's an 18-hand Westphalen mare. And it was her first year really showing consistently. 
Um, and she I had a blast with her as well. She did super. So it's been really fun. So when you say showing, do you mean dressage? Because mm-hmm. over here yeah. we have showing, which is where it's not. Oh. So we have dressage and we have showing. Oh, no. It's like two Only different dressage. disciplines. Just dressage. Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> you know, it's bizarre, isn't yeah. it? The different countries have so many. Because um, you, uh, we've kind of got over here equitation, um, but I yeah. know that it's really big with you. Yes, hunter jumper equitation. That's probably the biggest thing over here. We, I think we should bring it, like, have way more equitation over here because it looks so much fun. Um, but just going back to the showing and the dressage. So you, you just do dressage. So you're, mm-hmm. you're only dressage. Only dressage. So your horse, um, what's he called? The one that you've had for four years? Uh, Zen. Zen. Is he the one? Was he? He wasn't your first horse. No, no. So how um, did you take that step from working in stalls <laughs> and cleaning out other people's horses to getting your own? Well, I leased a horse from my neighbor. So I used to ride my bike over there and I took care of her barn and leased the <laughs> horse from her. And he was a Dutch Wormblood and he had figured out how to dump her or that if he spooked, he would, she would get off of him. Mm-hmm. So he was really sweet, but like it was a little bit of a mismatch and she tried a long time with him um, and I would ride him. I took lessons on him and he, he got really not very spooky quickly because <laughs> he was not, he was not uh, at all really a spooky horse. He just figured it out. So she gave him to me when he went lame <laughs> and I tried to fix him for a while and ended up finding a home for him with people that have more resources. I think at that point I was like 17, maybe 16, 17 and we injected some stuff and then my bank account was zero because it was all, you know, money I'd earned working at Barnes and stuff. So mm. it was not a lot of money. Um, and he is still actually alive. We are both 31. Um, <laughs> and he went, uh, the, the owners, I think, gave him two years off, did, did a lot of diagnostics. They were great, did everything they could for him, figured out what would make him sound. Hmm. after after a few years and he taught all their kids dressage oh wow and he's still being ridden which is great that's really um so that was my first horse and then my second horse even better um i had saved up a little chunk of money i think like three thousand dollars or two thousand dollars and bought a 17 hand warm blood that was skinny (laughs) huge that's a huge horse for your first horse Uh i'm six feet tall so you know, yeah, but that's still I a big think, horse. That's a long way to a, fall, Jessica. Well, <laughs> and it turned out he was skinny because and cheap because he was really badly behaved. And as soon as I met him, he showed his true colors. So he would bolt mm. quite a bit. But I learned a lot from him. I had him for a few years. So. And is um, he the one that you ended up competing and winning all these amazing medals with? No. Um, so my, my bronze medal, which is like basically a certification at first, second, third levels, I got on different horses that I leased through when I was a working student. So uh, I think I got my third level scores on an 18 three-hand warm blood. That would fuck. But he was one of my favorites ever. He was really funny. He had such a sense of humor. Um, I guess cheeky, as you would say. He was very, like, (laughs) cheeky. And then I think I finished up those scores on a horse that used to stick his tongue over the bit. So I figured out, like, I could through, we did a lot with him, like, his owners did some diagnostics and you know he had some vet work done and I could ride him very steady to the outside rein and he wouldn't stick his tongue over um Mm. so I got my scores on first and second level scores on him so can you Uh, just would you mind just explaining those uh, those scores to me of how they work so in dressage obviously you know we have scores you can score theoretically up to 100% but no one really does maybe Mm. Charlotte will someday um (laughs) (laughs) and I think for the the bronze medal, it's 
it's over, it might be over 60% you have to get at first, second level, like a, a certain number of tests uh, in front of different judges. So it just shows that you're proficient. And then the, the third level scores are what usually throw people off because you have to have a horse that does a flying change, obviously. And you know that some horses just don't get there or the training hasn't been there is more likely the case. So I guess that's very similar to our British dressage point system. So mm-hmm. when you're affiliated, yep. you go to all the shows, you build up some points and exactly. then you get yeah. top placing. So yes. out of the whole of the United States, you got bronze, silver and gold. Yep. That's yep. amazing. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of people with bronze and silver medals, less with gold because that's I won Grand Prix, but it still was something that I always wanted to achieve. And I'm, you know, proud that I did it on a shoestring budget. (laughs) Yeah. With nothing, clearing out other people's poo. Like that's amazing. So what happens then then? Do you move on to the FEI rankings? So for FEI rankings, you have to compete at the CDIs, which are the international shows. Mm -hmm. And so you have to compete in the double bridle. And that's something that I would like to do eventually. My horse is, because he's very laid back and he's got a really small mouth, um, the double bridle can be uh, tough for him. Sometimes he's okay in it for a little while and then he, he doesn't really like it. And it shows because he's a little bit more tense. Mm-hmm. Um, he does a lot better if I ride him in a Snapple for the Grand Prix. So at some point we'll keep, you know, messing around and go ahead and, uh, play with showing him in the double again. He did it at third level and maybe next year, like that's one of my goals is to keep trying. And I've tried some different bits, some smaller bits, lighter bits, that sort of thing. Um, so maybe at some point we do a CDI, but but that's interesting. So the only thing that's holding you back from that level then and from going to FEI is the fact that you have to wear a double bridle. Mm-hmm. Yep. So yep. what do you know I mean, what they... And we're not scoring well enough that I would pay all the money to do a CDI yet. Like I wanted to, <laughs> if we were going to do a CDI, he would have to be really 100% confirmed and right there for me. Mm. So maybe, I mean, it's our first year at Grand Prix and he's 11, so we've got plenty of time. I'm so excited for you. Yeah. I'm yeah. also really excited for you because you're only four hours away from New York. And yeah. I've just heard of this incredible show that goes on in New York in Central Park. It's a Central Park horse show. Yes. And the last few weeks I've been saying how incredible would it be to be able to compete there? Is that something that you're going to do? <laughs> I doubt I will get there. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's an invitation only show mm-hmm. for dressage, I believe. Um, so it's a lot of like kind of Olympic riders or Olympic level riders, which uh, is great. It's really fun to watch, but I don't know with my horse. He's very nice. He's, he'll be a very accurate Grand Prix horse someday. Mm. I don't know if he's quite, he's not quite that, that flashy. (laughs) He's a good egg. (laughs) He's got a really good Piaf massage. So we should be able to, you know, improve our scores and, and do well, but you know, there's a difference between a very good Grand Prix horse and a very good international Grand Prix horse. Mm. And I'm realistic about it. So but that's, just fine. that's good to yeah. know. You know, you know yeah. how far your horse can go and what potential yeah. they've got. And, and ultimately you sound like you're still really enjoying it. Absolutely. I think you always have to be realistic. You know, every horse can do different things to their different ability and to have any horse that can get to FEI level and, you know, do the, the Grand Prix especially is really, really cool. They have to sit, they have to be really sound. That's usually what, um, kind of keeps them from getting there mm. and maybe someday I'll have a horse that's you know this super fancy horse <laughs> that can also <laughs> compete at you know international level shows but yeah. uh, for now I'm enjoying 
you know, doing what I'm doing. So so how did you make that move then? When you made the decision to do this full time, you're basically giving up your job. So you've got no income coming in. <laughs> how did you survive? Well, I had savings and sort of was doing enough with the riding anyway that I knew what would be coming in. Like I've been teaching and stuff. So, um, and I have a very nice husband (laughs) and he took a year off the year before. So he was like, if you want to go do it, like you do it now. So, Mm. so you're really lucky that you've got a, you've got a good husband that understands our passion and our craziness. He doesn't understand how expensive horses are. (laughs) I keep that, you know, because it's all my horse pays for himself for the most part, like, or I pay, you know, yeah. I make it work, but he knows how much it means to me. So that's really great. And does he help you with the horses or is this, is that very much your remit? Yeah, it's just my thing. So he's not a horse person. He can come to the barn and feed my horse carrots. He's ridden my horse once <laughs> at the walk and pee off. I made him my horse pee off. He with him on it? Yes. What did he, he do? That was a little alarming. <laughs> Uh, but he was great. He's he's great. I just told him, sit there, don't touch anything. Yeah. <laughs> um, and don't kick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So tell me then, Jessica, what did you get from going to the clinic with, uh, with Carl Hester? What did you take from it the most? <laughs> About four pages of notes. <laughs> I think the biggest thing for me was, I guess the overall picture was the biggest thing for me. Like the way the clinic was set up, it was young horses. Um, and then they... They started in the morning with the young horses and then worked up through the levels to a Grand Prix horse. Mm. And so it was really nice to see and hear him talk about how they approach young horses. It's really different than how a lot of people over here approach young horses, um, especially with the workload. What's different about it? Um, So he really sticks to like a four day a week schedule um, with the young horses. So they do Monday, Tuesday, they ride them 20, 30 minutes, not long. they have Wednesday off and then they're worked Thursday, Friday. And then on the weekends they go for a hack. And so over here, it's a lot more, it seems like there's a lot less time for them to be youngsters once they come to training in a lot of barns. And oftentimes they're worked a lot longer than 20, 30 minutes worked, you know, five, six days a week. Um, And we don't, in a lot of places have the pasture area that it sounds like Carl does where they can live out for, um, the third, the three and four year old year of their life. Um, I think it's hard to find a barn for your young horse around here where they don't, um, where they get a lot of turnout and they sort of get to hack and they get to be a horse. Like usually when they come in, they kind of come in and go to work. So that's hard. Mm. Um, it's a little bit too like our geography and, our, uh, just the fact that land is really expensive over here and, you know, not a lot of barns are on a lot of land. So turnout can be fairly limited. Um, I'm lucky that my barn has a lot of turnout. So my horses get to, you know, be horses, but yeah, it's not exactly. common. It that surprises mm-hmm. me because you're a much bigger country than we are. And actually over here, it's very hard to get good land. It's hard to get a lot of, a yeah, lot of land. Sure. You know, most people are on one acre per horse. And mm-hmm. I'm trying to find somewhere at the moment, you know, we're, we're on five acres a horse. I'm yeah. really lucky. Um, yeah. You can't find that anywhere. It's, unless you buy no. your own land, unless you're a millionaire and buy like, you know, yes, 30 exactly. acres. Mm-hmm. Um, so in terms of the training then, are you taking on his techniques? Are you going to be training in that same regime of, you know, two days on, one day off? Not for my schedule, but my horses work five days a week. I don't have any really, really young horses at the moment. So everyone's kind of, you know, 
seven, eight, nine, ten, that area, that age, just funny because usually I have at least one three year old (laughs) and it's getting cold out and I'm usually like three year old's gonna be wild but uh, I don't right now which is nice um, in some ways so I will stick to my schedule I don't work them super hard five days a week they you know Mm -hmm. they come out they do what they need to do oftentimes it's 20 minutes um, and then they go in but I totally would see the benefit especially if I had more horses going and more young horses and then his training methods I would say complemented very well what I'm already doing. Um, But it was really nice to hear him talk about, you know, the importance of some things like transitions. And he had a couple of tweaks about how you ride like the trot walk transitions that were great. I've never heard before. made a lot of sense. Um, He had some amazing exercises for the canter work um, and for how to teach the canter pirouettes without making the horse feel like they were too hard, like how to teach them in a little bit of a more playful, easy manner. Mm. Sounds like you got loads from it. Yeah, yeah. So, so that sort of thing I'll definitely incorporate. You said earlier that you like to ride classical. So how mm-hmm. would you say that your technique is different to other Grand Prix riders that you've seen? I think once once you get up to the, the upper levels, you know, the people that have gotten there are all using variations of a similar technique for the most part, some exceptions, you know, of course, um, <laughs> <laughs> exist. But I my technique is just very basic you know they learn to stretch they learn to connect over their top line always straightness from the outside rein going forward from a light leg is kind of the most important thing and then you just build on those basics and you just build and the horses do what they do you know at at their own pace there's no pushing them to be on a schedule like they're either going to do it or they're not but um letting them just get those basics better get the connection better get the balance better as they start to get stronger through their back and top line, the balance comes up, they sit more on their hind legs. And then through that balance, you can start to work more on the collection. And then they eventually, you know, show you really what they can do. Yeah, love it. I totally agree with you. I'm such a, you know, calm, relaxed, kind of soft person. In Mm -hmm. fact, I think I get... I think maybe I'm a little bit too soft sometimes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm really interested to know your thoughts on contraptions because lots of people are using these contraptions at the moment of let's pull the horse's head in and let's push it forward. Mm-hmm. But, you know, side reins and, you know, things like that, which are holding the mm-hmm. horse together. What, what are your yeah. thoughts on that? So definitely, I mean, when I'm teaching like a young horse to lunge or when I'm lunging a horse, I'll use side reins, but loose and low. So sort of at the point of the elbow so that it just teaches the horse to stretch. You want the horse to go in basically that bascule fashion that they, where they lift their back, like they're, when they go over a jump. Mm. Um, So the neck should be long, low, out and down. Um, And the nose should be out. That's really important. Um, But I don't keep them tight and I don't certainly don't really ride with anything. Um, in the past, I've had some trainers who, you know, would put one draw rein on for straightness. Like you put one on the outside rein for straightness. If the horse is really exceptionally naughty or dangerous or whatever, but um, I don't really have, I don't really use it myself um, currently. Um, and I don't really use anything else. Uh, I'm looking into some of the, uh, like equiband training systems mm-hmm. um, for lunging, which helps get their hind end under and uh, get their abs a little bit more engaged. And that's sort of interesting to me. Mm. Um, they've just done a study that they released that shows that it helps strengthen the, the core muscles of the horse 
pretty well. So that's something I'll look into in the future. And um, occasionally I'll use something lunging. Uh, it's called a horse hugger. Same thing. It, it works underneath the or behind the horse's tail. Um, uh, sort of low, lower than the horse's tail. I guess it goes uh, above their gaskins. And again, it just encourages them to keep their hind legs under a little bit. Play with that once in a while if it's a light day and, mm. you know, just to help the horse figure out the hind legs. But in terms of holding the head down or something, it's not really anything that's going to help any problem. <laughs> oh, no. I feel the same. And I'm seeing more and more riders that are riding in yeah. reins and giving mm-hmm. the horse no room to move. And so I just thought, well, let's talk about it. Get your opinion. We'd like to get some other yeah. views on what they think and just say, maybe, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if that's the right way, but I can't say what's the right way and wrong way. I'm just interested to know opinions, really. Um- Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Yeah. Every month I talk to a veterinary expert. We talk about diseases Mm -hmm. and problems. And a couple of weeks ago, one of the vets actually mentioned an equiband and they said they're quite good. They can be quite good for building Mm -hmm. up the strength and the core muscles. So I get where you're going with with that. And I think with lunging, you know, I've used a couple of things, a Pessoa. Um, Mm -hmm. that worked quite well it's just the whole holding a horse in I just Mm -hmm. don't agree with it I want them to learn I want them to be able to make that to teach them to be able to find their position themselves yeah yeah they have to be able to make mistakes you know if they can't use their head and neck to balance there's a problem they need it and in fact I I think um, the horses that really have their head and necks held in while they ride are much more prone to injury because they can't save themselves if they trip or they step weird. Whereas a horse that has a little bit of a longer neck Mm. um, has some elasticity in the contact. If they take a weird step, they land wrong, they can fix it themselves. Whereas if they have that ability taken away, it can definitely see a higher incidence of injuries. Mm. And plus now they're really starting to look at, you know, neck and back um, backs more from a radiographic and ultrasound standpoint. And, you know, we're seeing a lot more, 
problems with them, which is probably due to our, you know, we have imaging techniques we didn't used to have and knowledge about how to look at them. But you have to wonder with a horse that's ridden really, really deep or really um, tight for a long time, what that does to the ligaments and the um, cervical vertebrae on the neck. Um, Mm. And certainly then the vertebrae, thoracic and lumbar in the back. Okay, over in America. Yeah. Uh, what's the support like? Do you do you get much support locally? Do you get support from the United States Federation? How do they help you with your riding? <laughs> there's not a lot in in America, like at least financially. There's educational opportunities, and those are great to take advantage of. And that's kind of for everyone. So, it's there's not even I think the the big wig team riders have to fund most of it themselves or through sponsors. Um, it's just not. Just not how we do it over here, unfortunately. Well, we have yeah. to do it on our own over here too. You know, yeah. we do have to pay yeah. for things ourselves. It's not it's yeah. not so much the financial support. I guess I'm talking about education and opportunities for riders to learn and oh, to okay. meet other riders and um, just gain experience like shows and, and not feel like they're on their own. Oh, okay. So yes, in that sense, like we have, we're actually really lucky. Um, one of the girls that I went to UNH with, and um, she met Carl Hester with me. She came up with me because I was scared. <laughs> Has a company that puts on recognized dressage shows in our area. So even though we're in New England and everything is kind of far away from, from everything else, she has like, I think, three or four recognized dressage shows that USDF sanctions mm-hmm. um, that I can go to that are like within half an hour. Don't have to stable overnight. Um, everyone else can go. They're, you know, anyone that's, a member of USDF, USEF um, can go. There's really good judges. Um, there's usually some clinics in the area that you can go to. Um, so in, in terms of that, we're actually pretty lucky where we are. Mm. Um, it's easy to access recognized shows. And there's actually a number of pretty good recognized instructors in my area. Um, we have a pretty big group member organization, which is Um, the New England Dressage Association, and they hold educational events throughout the year, um, schooling shows. So, Mm. yeah. So in terms of that, like actually being in New Hampshire, we're pretty lucky. Um, There's a lot out there that you can go to. Oh, good. And what is it when when you're doing your training at home and you're doing your dressage? um, Mm -hmm. I love dancing with horses. I talk about this all the time. So I put on my iPod and I pretend (laughs) that, you know, we're dancing. Um, What techniques do you use or or what... um, what do you do at home that isn't just dressage that maybe can enhance your dressage? Like, do you do a lot of jumping? Do you do pole work? Things like that. Um, I don't do any jumping. My horse is not. <laughs> We've tried it. <laughs> he's a little laid back to be a jumper. <laughs> um, he's not careful. <laughs> is he not? Does uh, he go through them? No. Yes. Yeah. Or he trots over them like a fancy dressage horse. So we, <laughs> in the past, we've done some cavaletti. I don't have cavaletti right now so pretty much just sticking to sort of trail riding and walking around and doing a bit different stuff like that um, when they need a when they need something different and then also just changing up the routine enough every day like they I'm not drilling them or doing the same thing day after day Mm. so they they don't tend to get ring sour or bored at all because it's so easy for them to get bored I mean three times of doing something with blackjack and he's like okay I've had enough now can we try (laughs) something else so um we do have to keep their minds occupied all the time but Um, just make it very clear that you know when they've made the right choice it's like they've won the olympics and it's a big deal and then they really 
they really get into the training. And I think once they figure out, you know, a little bit how to learn and the process, they, they really like it. Yeah. So. Okay. So how do you remember your tests? That's my other question. Um, is like, do you, do you play it on your phone um, to remind you or do you write them down or because everyone has their own way of remembering things and I can mm-hmm. never remember my test. <laughs> so I usually look at the tests. I read the directives. Um, then I usually watch some YouTube videos of other people riding the tests. <laughs> Good idea. And I ride the test at home. Both my horses like to know what's coming. They like to practice the test. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I do a lot of visualization. Like I'll sit in a dark room, my eyes closed, and run through the test. And not only run through the movements, but where all my transitions need to be, where my problem spots are going to be. Um, have a plan like if you know horse a drifts right a little bit and I visualize the test with my right leg on a little bit coming down center line you know if horse b can be a little bit explosive in the canter transitions then I visualize um, making them a little bit soft and supple and and quietly asking for that canter transition out of a little shoulder four it's just getting a game plan and going over it and going over it so that becomes something you don't have to think about you can just ride what's going on Mm. at that moment and then everything else hopefully is is right there sounds quite good we need a little rocking horse at home don't we yeah (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. um so we were talking about dressage we were talking about training training techniques Mm -hmm. at home um we need to get in something technical i think so Mm -hmm. what can we bring in technical to teach people for technical i would say um a really good tip that I saw at the Carl Hester symposium that was really simple that anyone can use was um, two things. He had uh, people doing trot walk transitions and trot cater transitions. And when you went down from walk to really make sure you pushed your hands forward and followed and thought about almost pushing the horse's head away from you. Mm-hmm. So really kind of a, you know, almost not quite rowing motion, but really following with your hands and being really cognizant of that first ride, um, which was good because oftentimes I think we are so focused on making the transition perfect that we don't give. And then the horse gets a bit backed up in the walk. Mm. Um, We don't give enough. And the way he wanted to really, really give made a big difference in everyone's walk. And then the other exercise he had that was great was halting before your corners because the horse learns to just take, do the corner on their own basically and not stay balanced and not wait for you. So he would have people trot down the long side, halt in the corner. And then if you were going to do a turn, if the corner was a left-hand corner, he would have you turn your horse right, trot off and go to the next, you know, halt before the next corner. If again, if it was a right-hand corner, you turn left, you do that a number of times and then go through the corner and the horse starts to wait for you. They don't just go and make the corner on their own clever so, so what they're not doing is they're not anticipating the corner mm-hmm. and when they anticipate the corner their weight gets down on the inside shoulder so everything that we're doing in dressage just try to keep them off the inside leg and keep their you know balance around their inside leg and not let them lean on their inside shoulder um and so that really stops that problem really quickly so it was a great exercise and have you tried any of these since you got home oh of course <laughs> yeah <laughs> and how did you get on uh, it was really good. Um, I couldn't do too many trot transitions with my, my Grand Prix horse because then he was like, whew, or a trot halt. He was very excited about getting to halt before the corner. Um, <laughs> so we only did a couple, but um, with the, I have a very big mayor that I ride and she's uh, just learning to have her balance more up 
Um, she's about 18 hands. So it's a lot of horse to balance. And it was very helpful for her because it made her really think about that corner instead of just going through it and shortening the strides with her a little bit helped her um, stay balanced too. That's, I think that's one of the hardest things is keeping the horse balanced. Mm-hmm. Um, we're still failing at this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so from from your point of view, from, from riding the same horse for a long time, mm-hmm. um, how would you go about uh, teaching your horse to be balanced? Maybe uh, you said your horse is 11? Yep, yeah, 11. So he's 11 years old. Let's mm-hmm. say he's completely unbalanced. You've just taken him on. He's been doing bits and bobs, but you really want to to kind of step it up a gear. Mm-hmm. How would you teach an eleven year old to be more balanced? Um, I would be a little concerned if it was an eleven year old that was totally unbalanced. I would have the vet out first. <laughs> well, I don't know. You something. say that, but Blackjack's nine, and we've had a lot of time off, and he's very unbalanced. <laughs> okay. Um, and well, if it, if all things were normal. From a, a neurologic and veterinary standpoint, I would um, definitely work a lot on transitions and teaching the horse to really move off your inside leg. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of sort of, I would start with turn on the forehands, and then from there you teach them to leg yield and do some leg yield work, even a little bit shoulder four. So they start really thinking about that inside hind leg. Um, this assumes they can go in a straight line. It's yeah we can't do that for that <laughs> yeah that would be that would be the first thing um if you can't go on a straight line you can't go sideways because it'll True. just make them more crooked mm-hmm. um and so for a horse that's truly very all over the place um i would start with doing a lot of work off the track um picking a straight line sticking to it do transitions on that line and work on teaching them to just move off your outside rein um doing some square turns and yeah everything off the track no using the wall until they get really really good at it um for months i'm (laughs) writing all this down now so um let's just get all of that down all those notes yep brilliant thanks that's what i'm gonna be doing this weekend so not on the track (laughs) going in a straight line wish me the best of luck (laughs) yeah so you pick about say about a meter off the track so the turns aren't a lot smaller for them and and really, if you have mirrors, that's great. You can look in the mirror and do transitions, you know, trot walk transitions and on really unbalanced horse going into walk from the trot will fall whichever way they want to fall naturally. So if they're a horse that goes out their left shoulder a lot, if you do a trot walk transition towards the mirror, I can guarantee you, you will <laughs> stagger to the left. So it starts making you more aware of the horse's balance and where your body is and how you can help him. Another thing that helps with that sometimes is a car if you're going out on a hack because some horses spook at cars. So I really, I love, I love it because Blackjack hates cars. So I'm like, let's do a little bit of trotting sideways, Blackjack. Let's do your flexion and bending now. It works really well. Um, That's one way to get them more uphill. (laughs) Well, you have to use what's around you, don't you, really? I mean, we can't all ride in a school all the time. So you've got to use whatever you can get your hands on and if that's a dog chasing you to get them to move forward or <laughs> that will get them to move forward well that's quite well and um, just quickly going back to your training and you know what's locally what's around locally for you we're really lucky in the UK that there's um, a company set up called dressage anywhere so mm-hmm. if you can't leave your yard then mm-hmm. you can film your sessions or film your test at home and they also do training yeah. and things I actually want a gift certificate to there 
um, which I thought was a really cool idea. I just haven't had anyone to video me and attest. <laughs> oh, just pop it up in the corner of the arena. It they works. Said you had to, they said you had to zoom, and that was my problem. I can't zoom. No, you know. not if you're doing it by yourself. But what you could do is pop up two cameras mm-hmm. and get both angles, maybe. Yeah. That's a good idea. We'll have a chat with them. Well, you need to zoom in so they can see what you're doing. Yeah, which makes sense. Yeah, no, it does, doesn't it? I need to get one of those really cool uh, auto-follow cameras. Yes, the ones yeah. that you put in the middle of the arena and they've just, yeah, it just follows you as you go around. Yeah. Is that your Christmas present? That would present? be amazing. I hope, maybe. That Santa's really nice to me. <laughs> or the husband needs a new job. Yes. Every yes. evening he can come and film you. But that's okay because yeah. I got my other half, my husband, I've managed to get him to do some filming because he that's feels, good. and taking photos because he wants to be involved. He's had a yes. go at riding, but I still don't trust him with the horses. Yeah. So, but, but men, well, he, I can't say men in general, but he needs a job. So that yeah. is his job is to do that. But the, you know, the, the going on dress anywhere and the recording yourself and then you send it in and they actually judge you on how your riding is and and you learn and some people are doing really well on it that's great it's a great idea do you have one over there we don't have anything like that Um, get on dressage anywhere I won't tell them you say you live at my house they don't need to know (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure they wouldn't mind if you're in America no I'm sure (laughs) I'm sure it's fine um I don't think we have anything I think there are some people where you can like send in video lessons and everything um I'm lucky enough that like we have a lot of um, FEI trainers in the area. So um, I go to lesson with one in Maine um, a couple times a month. And then I probably do some clinics with other people throughout the winter. Uh, There's another lady in New Hampshire that I took a lesson with recently. So there's very qualified help Mm. around. There's a guy that I love near you and he's called Troy Griffith and he's not a dressage rider. Um, He doesn't compete, um, Mm -hmm. but he is incredible with his classical training. Like literally cool. this guy is insane. Have a look at him on mm-hmm. Facebook. Yeah, um, I've never heard of him. He does medieval riding. <laughs> I know. Wow. How crazy does that sound? But but what I love is his technique with his riding. So he trains all his horses, he has beautiful Frisians, mm-hmm. and um he only trains in classical and he quotes things from the eighteen hundreds. Huh. Which I just think interesting. So it's it is really interesting because I think it's amazing how you can get something that was said all those years ago and put it mm-hmm. into today's riding. Um, so he does these. I can't remember what they're called, but like displays, like medieval displays, mm-hmm. uh, reenactments. Yep. He does the reenactments. Yeah, <laughs> he does the reenactments. Huh. Um, but his actual training and his riding and the way that he he does a lot of groundwork and he yeah. write, writes all these posts and puts videos out. And I just think it's fascinating because it's very much classical. You can't get yeah. more classical than Troy Griffith. Um, huh. I'll have to look. So, yeah, it's interesting to take some of his elements into yeah. dressage today. It's very similar. Anyway, I've taken up more than enough of your time and I'm sure you want to go and get on your pony. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> I'm going to go drive. Unfortunately, I live in about 15 minutes from like almost an hour from the barn. So I'm going to go get in the car and then uh, go teach some lessons. It'd be great. Well, thank worth you. the drive. My horse is very happy. <laughs> it is worth the drive. And yeah. thank you so much for your time. How can we follow you on Twitter? On Twitter, I am dressage247. And on Instagram, I am JM Dressage. So it's JMD and then the rest of the word dressage. My initials before I got married were JMD. 
Oh, I know. We have to change our name after we're married. Yeah. It's but the I didn't worst. Change my I, Instagram. Yeah, I'm not. I still haven't. Yeah, I still I won't change yeah. my Twitter handle. It's still Amy no. Stevenson one, but it just says Amy Frost, and I still can't yeah. get my head around the fact that my name is no longer my name. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Well, enjoy your ride, and we'll speak to you soon. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Wasn't Jessica lovely? I really enjoy hearing your stories. And it doesn't matter if you're a Grand Prix rider or an amateur rider like me. As long as you're having fun with your horse, learning all the time and enjoying it, that's what matters. And I think we can all learn a lot from each other. So I hope you enjoy Horse Hour Monday nights between 8 and 9pm on Twitter. You can speak to equestrians from all over the world. All you do is include our hashtag hashtag horse hour in your tweets and then you can get involved in conversations if you'd like to listen to previous episodes of the horse hour podcast just head to our website horsehour.co.uk and there's a whole bunch of education on there for you because i don't know about you but these dark nights are meaning i have a little bit of extra time in the evening which is quite nice because um i like to get the horses done in daylight trying to put on rugs in the middle of a field and pitch black is quite tricky so um, yeah i do have a few extra hours so i've been spending some time researching fun things that you can do with your horse so there's lots on our website for you i've got some great guests coming up over the next few weeks on the podcast i'm sure you'll love them now you ready for this i feel like i need a drum roll we have mary king Emily King. Yes, both of them. It's really interesting to get their take on eventing and um, and their journey, their individual journey, and then how they're working together as well. So I hope you enjoy those episodes. I also speak to Helen West, who runs Bicton Arena. She was an eventer herself. Very, very clever lady. Um, she organises two huge horse trials at Bicton Arena every year. And it's really interesting to get an organiser's perspective of how events run. But also, oh my gosh, she she was just incredible to speak to so I'm sure you will love her interview then I also speak to the lovely Harriet Morris Bomber so lots of great guests coming up I hope you have a great week with your horse and I'll speak to you soon you've been listening to Horse Hour join the community on Twitter Mondays 8pm UK time 3pm Eastern by using the hashtag Horse Hour follow Amy at Amy Stevenson 1 and subscribe to us on Acast iTunes Stitcher and Player FM. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.